It's a crisp fall evening in 1994, and there I stand all alone in the dark on an unknown trail. I have a mint lifesaver in my hand, the prize that I will get to eat and watch spark after I've done what is being asked of me. I'm alone, I'm scared, and I remember how much I really hate the dark. You see, it's my turn to do the fifth grade science camp night hike at Camp Campbell. Anybody else? <laughs> it's my turn to start walking alone. With each step forward, my imagination of all of the possible bad things that could happen to me begin to grow. And I have to start to talk myself off the ledge that my vision of being attacked by a wild animal and mauled to death during the time that I am all alone as a 10-year-old on a trail in the middle of nowhere in the woods, in the mountains, in the pitch dark, is not actually going to happen. Now, while I talk myself off said ledge, I start to walk a little bit quicker. My pace continues to get faster and faster and I'm trying my hardest not to run. Because they told us before this all started that running could be dangerous, to which I thought, well then why are you making a bunch of fifth graders walk alone in the dark if it's so dangerous? But as I walked, all I could think about was the counselor who would be waiting at the end of the trail with a light. And all I wanted to do was find that light. With each step, I knew I was getting closer to this light. And the second I finally saw that dim little glimmer of light, my worries and my anxiousness began to subside. There is something really comforting about the light, something safe and freeing. And we are drawn to the light because light can reveal the truth and show us that what we had imagined in the dark was in fact not as scary as we had made it out to be. You see, once I reached the light, I realized that I was in fact not on an unknown trail, but rather a trail that I had walked that very morning in the light of day. And what had felt like miles in the darkness was really close enough that around the corner, the end of the hike was visible from the start. The darkness had played tricks on my mind. It had distorted my environment and ensued fear that wasn't necessary. The darkness does that to us. It distorts what is true. This morning, we are continuing in our series in 1 John, and we're picking back up in verse 5 that Becca just read for us. But before we jump in at verse 5, let's remind ourselves of where we left off last week. Tim started our series in 1 John last Sunday and walked us through the first four verses of chapter 1 and pointed out that John is testifying to what he had seen and experienced because he knew the truth that Jesus was what those who were lost needed. Jesus was the antidote for a dying world wandering in the dark. 1 John 1, 1 says, that which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is proclaiming the truth that Jesus was, is, and always will be. That he was from the beginning, that he came to earth, which John had seen with his own eyes to save his creation from their sins. And he is the word of life. Let's move down to verse 5 and see where this chapter continues to take us. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. As you may have guessed, we're going to have some light and dark imagery in our passage today. And this verse lays it out clearly. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, not even a speck of darkness, no sin, no error, no untruthfulness, no darkness at all. God is perfectly holy and true, and he alone can guide us out of the darkness of our sin and into his light. John 1, 4 through 5 says, In him, and they're referring to Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. True darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. And let me show you what I mean. All right, can we turn off the lights and close all the doors? While the room just got a lot darker, the light from the sun outside has still overpowered the dark. Total darkness has not been achieved because we still have light coming in through the windows. Where there is light, it overcomes the darkness. Okay, we can turn everything back on. <laughs> Thank you. Light represents all that is good, pure, holy, true, and reliable. And darkness represents all that is sinful, evil, and a lie. They are polar opposites, and the light should be what we are drawn to, but oftentimes we want to hide in the darkness. 1 John 1, 6 says, if we claim to have or 1 John 1, 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John is beginning to confront one of the three claims that the false teachers of the day were making, that you could still have fellowship with God while deliberately sinning. John is refuting this fact by saying that we cannot claim to be a follower of Christ and still live an evil and immoral life. I love this quote that I read from um, the Life Application Study Bible uh, commentary as I was studying. It says, we can't love God and court our sin at the same time. It just can't be. In John 12, 35 through 36, Jesus says this as he's predicting his death to a crowd of Greeks who have gathered to hear him. 
Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little, a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. Think about the last time you got up in the middle of the night and tried to walk around, especially if you're somewhere new. The darkness blinds us to those shoes that are left out that we trip over or that piece of furniture that we stub our toe on. When we walk in the dark, we do not know where we are going. The darkness also distorts what we see. When I was a young child, I often struggled with bad dreams or waking up really fearful in the middle of the night. And there was one night in particular that I remember I had gone into my parents' room, woken them up, probably with the creepy, you know, tap, tap, tap. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Mom, dad. And woken them up and asked if I could sleep on their floor because I was scared. So I got myself settled on the floor of what normally felt like a really safe place. But my fear kept building. And as I stared into the darkness, all I could see, or what I thought all I could see, was the outline of a person standing past the foot of my parents' bed. I panicked and woke my dad up in a moment of sheer terror, probably giving him a heart attack almost, and said, there's someone in the room to which he asked in a sleepy haze, wait, what, where? And I pointed to what I thought was this person. My dad turned on the light and said, Ruth, that's the TV on top of the dresser. Go back to sleep. The darkness had distorted the small TV in my parents' bedroom that sat atop a tall dresser and made me think that I was seeing the outline of a person. And I needed the light to reveal the truth of what actually stood before me. We need the light. Jesus says in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke up again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We can so easily convince ourselves that we can live in both worlds, in the darkness and in the light, and choose which one is most convenient for that specific moment. We can allow the darkness to be a hiding place where we think Jesus can't see. But he is light, and his light illuminates the darkness. So he sees. We cannot claim to have fellowship with our Savior and still walk deliberately in the darkness. If we do this, as the end of verse 6 tells us, we lie and do not live out the truth. Deliberate sin is where we put our, when we put ourselves in situations or surround ourselves with people that we know will not be good for us. When we put ourselves into tempting situations, whatever that might be, it's a deliberate, on-purpose choice. Circumstantial sin happens when we don't respond in a Christ-like manner when we face a hard situation or a challenge. 
Let me give you a little example. Yesterday, Kyle and I went to the mall and we got stuck in the world's longest line. We were just trying to buy like one pair of pants too. Now in this circumstance, when I rolled my eyes and acted annoyed because we were asked to wait even longer so this lady who seemed like she was cutting uh, could go in front of us. Okay, that might not have been the most Christ-like response. Thankfully, Kyle was the one that had words come out of his mouth and not me, but not the best response to the circumstance. But I didn't wake up yesterday morning thinking, I'm gonna go to the mall and find a situation where I can get in a really long line, wait forever while I'm hangry, and get irritated at someone in a non-Christ-like manner. That would have been deliberate. However, all sin requires our recognition of our sinful nature. And we need to confess those sins and remember our need for a savior because no lack of sinning can save us. Only submission to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can save us. But why do we choose the darkness when we can have the light of the world? Why does the darkness sometimes seem like an old friend? It's because we are sinful by nature but we do not have to continue in sin and we can find freedom in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And sin does not exclude us from God's grace, but it does suck the joy out of following Jesus. When we are living in sin, feelings such as guilt and shame and fear and other negative things start to become a lot more regular part of our lives instead of living in the freedom of God's forgiveness. Let's keep reading in verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Last week, Tim talked about and defined fellowship as he taught through John 1.3, which says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. I love the definition that Tim used for fellowship last week, that fellowship isn't just friendship. It is a bond between believers because we understand the gospel, that God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life, to die the death that you and I deserve, and then to defeat death by rising again. Jesus defeated sin and death. His finished work on the cross offers us forgiveness from sin and freedom from the darkness if we choose to submit to the light of life. Fellowship with God, the creator of all things, the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an incredible gift. As I was studying um, and preparing for this sermon, I came across this um, commentary, and I want to read it because I think it gives us a And um, we'll read it. It'll be up on the screen so you can follow along with me. It says this, fellowship, the essence of the Christian life, fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers in Christ. 
In the beginning, Adam was placed in the garden to enjoy friendship and communion with God. When the creature chose to assert his own autonomy rather than live under the creator's gracious care, fellowship was broken. Hence, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the Lord's presence. Yet God immediately sought them out and revealed his plan for the ultimate restoration of sinners through the work of the Redeemer. As a result of Christ's finished work on the cross, God now makes his permanent abode in the believer's heart. Hence the fellowship which now prevails under the new covenant is nothing less than the vital spiritual union of the believers with Christ. Fellowship with God is the goal of Christian life, and this relationship will be perfected forever when we see our Savior face to face. When God dwells with his people in the heavenly kingdom, the gospel restores fellowship not only with God, but among believers as well. Without fellowship with God, there is no real and true Christian fellowship with one another. The gospel, Jesus' finished work on the cross, paves a way for this true fellowship to happen between us, sinful people, and God, and also between fellow followers of Christ who have submitted their lives to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, moving from darkness to light. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that illuminated is, is illuminated becomes a light. These verses are telling us to find out what pleases the Lord, to live as children of light, to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, allowing the light to become visible. And I love how this Verse, verse 13 ends, it says, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. We can be a light. But if we want to walk in the light, then we have to find out what pleases the Lord. And do you know how we find this out? By spending time in his word. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We renew our minds by reading and applying scripture. Simply put, read scripture, obey scripture, and put the scripture into practice. Read scripture, obey scripture, and put the scripture into practice. Allow it to be a source of conviction as much as it is a source of joy, peace, and comfort. 
But sometimes we want to live like verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We cannot live with spiritual amnesia about our sin. We are all sinners and we need to take responsibility for our sin. But let us not forget there is grace. Jesus died once and for all, covering all sin, past, present, and future. But just because we've received this free gift of grace and forgiveness does not mean that we will be sinless. Claiming we are without sin is deception and means that the truth is not in us. This probably means that we're partially living in the darkness and doing our best to justify our sin or worse, hide our sin altogether. We will see later in verse 10 this morning that if we claim we have not sinned, then we make him, the Lord, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We are really great at convincing ourselves that we aren't that bad. Or that as long as no one finds out, It'll be okay to keep on doing what we are doing in the dark. And we can also be really great at avoiding fault in our relationships, especially if we're dealing with a broken relationship or we're dealing with a relationship that has hurt us or has broken our trust. In these circumstances, we might not be claiming to be living fully without sin, but we might be claiming to be without sin or fault in a specific situation, especially if we are the ones who have been hurt or simply if we don't want to be proven wrong. But we must humbly realize that there was only one perfect man who was out without sin or fault and they crucified him. The good news is that we do not have to live in defeat of our sin or stay in the darkness. Instead, we need to live out what verse 9 from our text says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sin because he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, once and for all. There will be things that we forget to confess, but the mature believer is on guard against their sin and willing to confess those sins. John is using the present tense here in this verse, suggesting that confession leads us to progressive sanctification that there's movement forward, that we are not stuck in the past, but we are also still accountable for the future or our current sins that we commit. Growth is progressive. The journey makes the difference because we should always be growing. There should always be movement forward. I mean, we're not Benjamin Button. This growth proves the need for regular, genuine confession. 
Not because our sins haven't already been washed away through the blood of Jesus, but because we need to be reminded daily, sometimes minute by minute, of our need for a savior. But what does confession look like? I think sometimes it can just be you sitting in the quiet, sitting still before the Lord, asking that he would reveal to you your sin that you would feel conviction over the things that you are doing in your life that are not honoring him. That he would help reveal to you maybe areas of your life and areas of sin that you've been blind to and ask for his forgiveness. Sometimes it's that quick, oh, Lord, I really shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And other times, it's important for us to pull trusted people in to admit the things that we are doing, to confess those things to a trusted friend, family member, or mentor. And in doing that, to ask for accountability. The most important thing is confession to our Lord. While humans can offer us forgiveness for the ways that we've acted or help hold us accountable, ultimately it is the Lord who offers us true forgiveness and sanctification. But we have the beauty of community and fellowship with other believers that can help hold us accountable and ask us those hard questions that we need to be asked that sometimes we don't even want to ask ourselves. Jesus' finished work on the cross, his sacrificial death on our behalf, and the fact that he defeated death by rising again made it so that all types of sin, all unrighteousness, as we just read, is forgivable. There are two types of sin. The things that we know we should not do and not doing the things that we know we should do. Not doing something we know we should do is as much of an act of disobedience as doing something we know we should not do. And these actions can not only hurt our relationship with the Lord, but also our relationship with others in our lives. We are not perfect. We are sinful. Therefore, we are going to mess up. But that doesn't mean we don't have to own up to these actions. If we never take responsibility, we will constantly be in broken relationship with God and with others. The act of genuinely asking for forgiveness or confessing our wrongdoings can bring about restoration. We confess our sin out of love and respect for the person that we have hurt. This willingness to confess needs to be extended beyond our human relationships to the most important relationship, the one with our creator, with our God. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. But as we just read in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible gift. Confession is important because we don't want to be what verse 10 says we will be if we claim to be without sin. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. We don't want to make the Lord out to be a liar. If we have no sin, then what did Jesus die for? John 3, 16 through 21 explains exactly what Jesus died for. While I'm sure many of us know the very first verse that I'm about to read, I want to encourage you to focus on the ones that come behind it and follow it because it really brings this beautiful picture of the incredible gift of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus came to save us, to take our rightful place and provide a way for us to have true fellowship with God the Father. His sacrificial death on our behalf, his finished work on the cross saves us from all unrighteousness. This work of paving a way for salvation is done, but the Lord's transforming work in our lives is not over. The gospel is the redemptive work of the Lord that we could never do, but instead God did on our behalf. We never graduate from the gospel and the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ, but we must recognize our sin for what it is. The thing that pulls us back into the darkness, breaking our fellowship with God. But there is hope. There's forgiveness and confession offers us an opportunity to restore that fellowship with the Lord. I'd like to move us into a little bit of a time of reflection and I'm gonna invite the worship team to join me up on stage. I wanna encourage us um, this morning as we continue in worship through song, um, as Tim mentioned earlier, we're gonna have a time of communion in a little while as we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins, I want us to encourage us to really spend some time connecting with the Lord this morning. I'm gonna read um, a psalm in a minute, and if you wanna sit and close your eyes and reflect on it, I encourage you to do so. But I also really wanna encourage you that as we come to the table, as we come to the time of communion, to spend some time asking the Lord to reveal areas of sin in your life, to confess them, to thank him for the fact that he died for your sins, and to ask for forgiveness. 
What if we all had the same heart that we see reflected in the words of David after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba? He writes in Psalms 51, and we just see his heart for a willingness to be restored. And it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. May we be people who truly desire the joy of our salvation and the humble gratitude of freedom from sin that can be found in the finished and done work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let us not walk like a fifth grader on the night hike, fearful and alone in the dark, but instead may we walk in the light of life because we have been forgiven and we have been set free. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the fact um, that we are forgiven and set free. Thank you, Jesus, for the incredible gift of the cross, that you have broken the chains of sin and death, that death did not hold you, death did not defeat you. You defeated death by rising again. God, we thank you that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. God, may you reveal to us the areas of darkness in our hearts. And Father, may we confess them, come into the light, and renew our fellowship with you. In your name I pray, amen.